Welcome to Sane Split, a podcast about staying sane when relationships end. I am AJ Jakubowska, family law lawyer and mediator. Just like you, I'm human. I understand what can happen when people separate. Lots of questions swirling around like confetti. Lots of uncertainty, perhaps anger, disappointment, or even pain. Sleepless nights, shallow breathing. Will I ever be happy again? Will the kids be okay? How much is all this going to cost? All of these questions are human and you're not alone. This podcast features my thoughts about separation and my interviews with other humans who help people when their relationships end. People who assist with legal issues, who mediate, who look after hearts and minds, and even after the pocketbook. People who might help you plan your future. What you will hear is not legal advice. These are dialogues primarily about the human aspect of separation. We will try to stay away from legal lingo. It's humans talking to humans. I hope that something you hear will help you navigate your way to a sane split. Welcome and thanks for tuning in. I am frequently asked what family court is really like. It goes without saying that I have discussions about the reality of family court with my clients and also sometimes parties who come to me for mediation because knowing the alternative, knowing what is likely to happen and how if they do not settle is often important and helpful to settlement itself. But that question is also posed by members of the public at large. They wonder whether family court is anything like what they see on TV, for example, in dramas and comedies and quote-unquote reality shows. Remember Judge Judy? She had her own show, which ran for 25 seasons. It ended just the other day, in fact, on July 23rd, 2021. On the show, she dispensed justice with the force of a small tornado, while at the same time entertaining her viewers. She was a real Manhattan judge. Her name is Judith Scheindlin, and the cases before her were real small claims cases. Her decisions were actually binding on those who appeared on camera. In other words, they were real court decisions. But it's important to remember that TV looks for entertainment value. So without it, a show like Judge Judy's simply would not develop the incredible following it did. Judge Judy is a supremely charismatic individual. There's no question about it. She displayed a strong sense of right and wrong on her show. But I think it's important to remind everyone that she made her decisions not based on her feelings or her like or dislike for the people who stood before her in her courtroom, but rather on the law 
and the evidence presented and available to her. The way she dispensed justice was very entertaining. She often engaged those before her in a dialogue, sometimes quite spirited. There was a back and forth in which she often did not mince words. And the tone and volume of her voice were often part of the package she delivered along with her decisions. TV as a medium was particularly suited to her personality and demeanor, or perhaps the other way around. Judge Judith Scheindlin was perfect for TV, and the camera loved her. Most individuals have their own sense of right and wrong, and so did her viewers, many of whom were loyal followers. For this reason, they either agreed with Judge Judy's decisions or they did not. Let me repeat. Judge Judy made her decisions based on the law and the evidence, just like she would in a real rather than a TV courtroom. For her viewers, that sense of right and wrong was likely closely tied to their sense of fairness which is a word truly difficult to define because the definition actually varies from person to person. When I initially meet with family law clients, they often tell me that they want no more than what is fair. Often the other side says they want the same, but the problem is that their definitions of fairness differ And that is where their dispute is rooted in the first place. But back to Judge Judy. I think that part of the reason the TV camera loved her as much as it did, and so did her audience, is the fact that she spoke with a sense of authority and had no difficulty with displaying through her words and demeanor her sense of justice and her approval or disapproval of the actions of the individuals who stood before her in her courtroom. Let me put that in very practical terms. If she thought one of the litigants, parties to the case before her, were telling a tall tale, lying, she would tell them she thought so. She did not mince words. There was high entertainment value to the way she did it. While she told one side that their story did not add up, I can imagine the other side felt a great sense of satisfaction that their opponent was being told off by the judge. That sense of satisfaction and the need to be vindicated confirmed someone was right and someone was wrong, is something people often crave. It's part of our human nature. This need is heightened when legal issues are involved, and it's turned up to 11 when it comes to family law issues, when a couple separates. Strong emotions are added to the mix, and they churn and churn, anger, disappointment, a sense of being betrayed, 
suspicion. When a separated spouse perceives that they were done a wrong, that the other hurt them, cheated them, betrayed them, disappointed them, they seek retribution and vindication. They want the other side to feel the same depth of emotions. And court is sometimes, often in fact, seen as the place to get that. When people come to me, both as a family law lawyer and a mediator, they often tell me they want to go to court. And when I probe them further about the reason, it becomes clear that they're often basing their perception of what family court is like on what they have seen on TV, on social media, and in the media in general. As in, someone like Judge Judy will wag their finger at my ex, tell them they should not have done what they did, should not have cheated and lied, and will make them pay. I do not say any of this as a criticism, not at all. Those feelings, emotions experienced by people who have experienced separation, can be and often are very real. As for how an average member of the public formulates their understanding of what family court is really like, that is our current reality. We are constantly fed images and other content about each and every aspect of our daily lives. And in this case, also of the justice system and how it functions. A lot of people turn to the internet as their first source of information on just about anything. We can have a chat at some other point about the good and the bad of that reality, but it is our reality. In 2021, and for some time actually, we have also been entertained in a particular way. And that entertainment includes representations of the justice system, of policing, of court, of lawyers and judges, which are not always accurate because real life sometimes simply does not have the entertainment value which show producers seek and which the viewers actually seek. Someone like Judge Judy can be so engaging, so compelling. And if a person happens to agree with her decision in a particular case on a particular day, it's easy to forget it's TV, or at least to remember that it comes across this way because it's TV and real life may not be quite like this. It is not. I will get to that shortly. By way of a very practical example, in the past, I have been asked by my clients to insist that the other side take a polygraph test, commonly known as a lie detector test, because polygraph tests are the bread and butter of cop shows dramas, 
quote-unquote reality shows. Other statements I hear, and again, these come from what the media feed us about the justice system, are, for example, I won't sign for a divorce ever. Or, we divide everything in half. Or, my child is over 18, so no child support. And also, my ex needs to be punished for cheating on me. By way of very brief responses only. Number one, one cannot delay a divorce in Canada by simply refusing to sign for it. Number two, in Ontario, we do not actually split the property in half. We divide value. That is how the law is framed. Number three, the law in Canada provides for the possibility of child support for children over the age of 18, and many receive such support. And number four, family courts do not punish anyone for cheating. So what is my overall message? I'm sure it's coming through by now. Family court in Canada, in Ontario, is not like TV court. Yes, it's the people's court in the sense that it is justice available to all members of the public, but it's not like that old show, The People's Court, where Judge Wapner dispensed justice before a camera, before Judge Judy did. So what is family court really like? What points can I give you to summarize what I'm trying to get across? Number one, family court justice, the decisions made by family court judges, are based on evidence and law. We have legal principles which judges apply every day. We have legislation, in other words, written law created by the legislative branches of our various governments, our lawmakers. For example, the Divorce Act, which is federal, and the Family Law Act, which is provincial. It's Ontario legislation. We also have law formulated by judges themselves at different levels of court, something lawyers often refer to as case law. This often entails interpreting how particular legislation applies to a given set of facts unique to a particular case. Case law can be and often is binding precedent. I don't want to get too technical for the purposes of this show on the meaning of binding precedent. But the bottom line is that family court judges are tasked with applying the law and dispensing justice based on the facts before them, based on the evidence before them, unique for each case. Number two, Family court judges apply the law to the evidence in a dispassionate way. Those who might cheat on their spouse are not punished by family court for doing that. In Canada, we have no-fault divorce. And in fact, 
most family law cases these days proceed on that basis, even if one party alleges infidelity. Sometimes I encounter individuals who think that if they prove that their spouse cheated, they will get more spousal support or a bigger share in the division of property. That is not, in fact, the case. By way of another example, people who repartner quickly after the separation, have a second family, are not punished by family court for doing so. The law is dispassionate that way. On separation, people have rights and obligations, and those are applied irrespective of what may strike someone as immoral behavior. Which brings me to the next point, number three. Family court is not a court of morality. That does not mean that family court judges as individuals do not have a sense of right or wrong or a moral compass. But how they might feel personally about an issue before them is irrelevant to their decisions as a judge. Let's imagine a family court judge who is a Catholic and infidelity is something the Catholic Church prohibits, at least in theory. That judge cannot bring his or her personal belief system into the courtroom and have it spill into their decisions, his or her orders or judgments. A personal sense of fairness has no place in family court, It is presumed that the law is based on a fundamental sense of fairness, on fundamental justice, that it's designed, written in a way that treats spouses on separation in a way which divvies up the consequences of separation in a balanced way. But it is unrealistic to expect that a family court judge will wag their finger at a party before them, like Judge Judy might, or speak in a raised voice, interrupt a witness speaking and suggest their story does not add up, call out perceived wrongdoers in a way which on TV would have that coveted entertainment value. It does not happen. Number four, family court can be quite dry. It's methodical and its flow is based on rules with which both the judges and the lawyers are familiar. These rules provide a framework for how a particular court attendance unfolds. Depending on the type of hearing, it may be just the lawyers and the judge speaking. Even if the hearing is five hours long, for example, the parties will never speak at all. I make this point because I have heard clients say to me in the past, I want to go to court because I want to tell the judge how I feel, or I want a chance to explain that to the judge. In fact, you may not have a chance to do that at all. 
on a motion, for example, the evidence is presented to the court in paper form by way of affidavits, written sworn statements, and by exhibits, which are documents, pieces of paper attached to the affidavits themselves. The story is in written form, sworn. The parties do not actually speak at a motion. They watch the lawyers make submissions, which are oral statements summarizing the evidence and connecting that evidence to the relevant law. At family law conferences, which are much less formal but based on rules as well, the parties have more of an opportunity to speak, but not in a way which many people visualize. It's not a chance to present your side of the story, to speak with the judge directly or tell them how you feel. If you are self-represented, I expect you will try and do that. It's natural to want to do that, but that is not actually how a conference is to unfold. It's a focused opportunity to have the judge help with the legal issues, to move the case forward, to organize it, to settle what is possible to settle, to reduce the overall number of issues in dispute, to give opinions as to likely outcomes, all in a dispassionate, law and evidence-focused way. Yes, in court decisions, family court judges sometimes do express frustration, for example, with people who do not pay child support, who engage in parental alienation, who do not make disclosure. In other words, do not produce financial documents which the law obligates them to produce in any event. And that can sometimes delay the case and increase costs. But it's in a way which has far less entertainment value than TV court does. Those kinds of statements are not generally made from the bench, meaning right there on the spot, the way Judge Judy would tell off some people before her if she thought their case was based on a web of lies. Family court is a very serious affair, to use a colloquial phrase, and you should take it seriously. Family court should never be used as a weapon. A court case should never be started simply with the goal of punishing someone based on a sense of fairness or morality. Family courts should become involved if a legal dispute cannot be resolved through dialogue, including family mediation. And the rights and obligations of parties and the rights of children are being affected. And a decision maker is required to ensure that the law is applied and no wrong is done. But the way this is accomplished is actually quite different than the media portrays. It's important for people to have 
a realistic understanding on what to expect in family court, what the outcomes are likely to be, because that should impact decisions going forward, should guide people on how they will attempt to resolve their dispute. Is it through direct negotiations or through dialogue with the help of lawyers? Is it through family mediation or is court the only option left? Because having realistic, fact-based expectations is important for navigating your way to a sane split. Thank you for listening. I hope you will tune in again. If you have any questions or comments, you can reach me through my website, separationinontario.com. Subscribing to the podcast through your favorite app will make future episodes available to you automatically. Signing off for now.